Welcome to the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. This is our uh, early May edition, 2019. Um, felt compelled today to uh, talk about the crazy immigration stuff that's going on right now up in Washington, D.C. You know, just when you think it's safe to get back in the water, uh, something happens. Well, Jared Kushner has been apparently putting aside his plans for Middle East peace uh, to work on uh, his uh, immigration proposal to bring joy and peace to the immigration process in the United States. Um, so today they've announced that a group, this is uh, today's May 7th, a group of GOP senators is headed to the White House to hear what Jared Kushner and Stephen Miller's immigration plan is. Uh, I suspect it will look remarkably uh, like the previous immigration plans that have come out of the White House. Let's look at the cast of characters uh, that have been invited to the White House, and let's talk about them. We have David Perdue. David Perdue is quite famous for introducing a remarkably nativist proposal uh, that achieved a grand total of two other co-sponsors to it uh, uh, in the Senate this year. Mike Crapo, a notorious anti-immigrant. Chuck Grassley, who has done a terrific job of uh, trying to destroy immigration in the United States. Mike Lee, uh, who surprisingly, despite his background and his dad's remarkable past, uh, opposes any sensible immigration reform. Tom Cotton, who is uh, one of the co-sponsors of David Perdue's uh, anti-immigration bill. Martha McSally, who lost her election in Arizona uh, on her anti-immigration platform, and Marsha Blackburn, who won her Senate seat in Tennessee on her anti-immigration platform. Now, here's what's interesting. Who is not attending this meeting? I think it's obvious. Lindsey Graham is the head of the Judiciary Committee in the Senate. Any immigration bill that's introduced has to go through his committee. And apparently, uh, Sister Mr. Graham, I didn't say Sister Graham, did I? Senator Lindsey Graham is not going to attend that meeting. Uh, now, that speaks volumes to me. Uh, it says quite clearly to anybody who understands the politics of the immigration process that Mr. Graham, who has long time been a supporter of DACA, a longtime supporter of fixing the undocumented portion of the population and fixing our legal immigration system going forward uh, is not supportive of this plan. I would be shocked um, if um, if uh, he ends up going, but right now he's supposed to not be there. So every one of these senators has played a prominent role uh, on this. Now, Crapo and Grassley both sit on the Judiciary Subcommittee on Immigration, um, and uh, it's quite clear that uh, the prior meetings with Kushner, virtually none of which involve people that actually work in the immigration field, they involve a substantial number of, uh, of uh, folks um, who uh, support um, kind of bizarre and negative changes to family-based immigration system. Um, and uh, here's what Purdue said about this. Uh, he's my senator. I will gladly vote him out of office in 2020. He says, it's, quote, it's imperative that the U.S. finds a better balance on immigration. If you want to continue this economic boom, which started under Obama, oh, sorry, he didn't say that. Uh, we need an immigration in response to the needs of our growing economy while protecting American workers. Yeah, 
that doesn't involve destroying legal immigration to America, which is what his proposal does. It literally cuts in half legal immigration. Now, Kushner, this is actually kind of funny, presented an initial draft to Trump recently, but the president asked him to significantly broaden it to include border enforcement. Now, this harkens back to the 2013 bill in the U.S. Senate, which garnered 69 votes across both parties, um, which allocated something in the neighborhood of $50 billion for immigration enforcement, uh, which John Boehner and the Republican GOP in the House refused to endorse and refused to even have a vote on. Kushner's working with a notorious nativist, Stephen Miller, who is Trump's immigration brain, um, and he's called, a, in the political article, he's called a, quote, influential hardliner on immigration whose restrictionist views have slowed past compromise efforts. Um, three staffers have moved to the White House uh, to work on this. Christy Boswell, a senior advisor to Sonny Perdue. Um, John Edlow, who's the agricultural secretary, working on the H-2A program and farm workers, which does need a change and which could be easily done. Joe Edlow, acting deputy assistant attorney general in the Office of Legal Policy at DOJ, notorious anti-immigrant and native. And George Fishman, a deputy general counsel at DHS, again, former Grassley protege and a notorious anti-immigrant and nativist. So the only thing uh, that really is going to come out of this is a bill that looks just like the Cotton Purdue bill uh, that will fail to get 50 votes on the Senate floor uh, and will not deal with immigration. Uh, because they keep, the Trump White House keeps focusing on the nativism aspects of an immigration policy, which do not address the current, past, and long term needs of the U.S. economy or of society in general. Uh, this proposal, uh, the, the outlines of which basically, apparently, try to keep in place the same number of people immigrating to America. As heaven forbid, we should move away from numbers last developed 30 years ago and allow more immigrants into the United States. And what it tries to do is cut family-based immigration again, which has been the backbone of our immigration policy and our economic growth and our leadership of the world on, on both economic and immigration policy, cut that and create some sort of, quote, merit-based system. This is basically the Cotton Purdue bill, which comes out of Steve Miller's brain trust. It's hard to call it a trust. Let's call it brain. Um, and which simply ends up putting us in exactly the same space we are right now. You know, it's telling that no other senators, including none of the other senators that are showing up in this meeting, have signed on to the Purdue Cotton Bill. And yet it appears that Kushner has been sold a bill of goods that this is the way to go forward. There is, of course, zero chance that it will ever have any consideration in the House, and it's quite clear that it doesn't really deal uh, with the numbers of people it, that have to be dealt with to have any forward-looking immigration. And I'm talking about the 10 to 11 million number of people of the undocumented population. 
The bill apparently does not deal with TPS people, does not deal with DACA kids, and certainly doesn't deal with the other 8 million people that have been here on average 15 to 20 years in the United States. But what it tries to do is eliminate the way you bring your, and who you can bring as family to the United States. It tries to eliminate the diversity lottery, which has been the main source of African-based and Eastern European-based immigration for the last 30 years. And it tries to further limit refugee and asylum processes. Um, there is no sane person on the planet that will support this. Even if it says, hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to raise the current 140,000 people who can immigrate through employment-based immigration. And when I say 140,000, any regular listener knows it's really only about 45,000 jobs that immigrate. The rest are, are, are families, spouses, and children and try to take from the 435,000 family-based petitions and augment that number. Uh, you know, here's what's interesting. Outside of India and China, the demand for immigrant visas is as low as it's ever been on employment-based cases. And if you simply allocated additional numbers just to India and China, and reduce that backlog to a reasonable number of a couple of years, or even to zero, over the course of the next five years, then basically our current employment-based numbers appear to be sufficient because employers aren't using the process. It's really quite interesting. You could augment the number of EB-5 visas uh, for employment-based, for immigrant uh, investor-based immigration. You could augment EB-1 visas. But now, apparently, they want to go to this point-based merit system. Now, if you look back to one of our podcasts from a year, a year ago where we talked about the Purdue plan, uh, we analyzed it in detail. We concluded that no person who is married over the age of 30 without a master's or Ph.D. could ever immigrate to America. So if you had won a Nobel Prize, you wouldn't meet the standard for the merit-based system because you're probably too old. Um, and it's uh, it's something that really doesn't work. It's interesting. They want to em- they hate Canada. You guys hate Canada, but they want to implement a point system that Canada has kind of tossed to the side because it doesn't really work. Um, now, if you really want to create a system that reflects the economic needs of America, then you tie our current system to the unemployment rate, and as the unemployment rate goes down the number of available H-1B worker visas, the number of available EB-3 employment-based visas through labor certification go up that allow employers to more easily bring people into the United States. But you see, if that was the plan, if that was the real intent, that's what we would do. But that's not the real intent. The real intent is to limit legal immigration to America to less than half of the current numbers. Why? Because these, these ideas come out of the restrictionist immigration nativist movement, which believes in overpopulation, which are pro-abortion, which are pro towards creating an America that is less diverse, and try to maintain the idea that America is a European-based society. And we have been moving away from that for a very long time. And in fact, the only reason that today it is not really that way 
is because in 1922, the restrictionists controlled the agenda in Congress and the White House and basically eliminated any immigration from outside a very narrow part of the Western Hemisphere and Northern Europe. And over the next 40 years, up until 1965, there was no diversity in our immigration at all, which kept America white. Now, if you don't agree with that, that's fine. But that's just the facts of what we've seen. And these folks want to go back to those facts. Now, why David Perdue thinks that's necessary? I don't know. You think a guy who represents an agriculture-rich state like Georgia, which depends on immigrant labor, which represents a a city like Atlanta, which is hyper-diverse and extraordinarily vibrant with a stronger economy even in the U.S., and he wants to limit the ability of companies to grow by limiting who they can bring into their companies through employment? It seems to me uh, that, again, Mr. Kushner, instead of solving the Middle East peace process, tried to go for something even more difficult, which is solving the immigration process in the United States. And um, at the end of the day, uh, what we're going to see is the, quote, broad strokes of a plan, which lawmakers will see, which some outside groups, not the experts, by the way, just outside groups will see, and which will say, yes, this is good, but why are we going to eliminate your ability to bring your parents to the United States? Yes. We want to, This part of this plan, it says this, we will allow you to immigrate under our merit system, but you can never immigrate your parents. You can never unify your family in America. Think about that for a second. Why would you go to a country that rejects your family and rejects your parents? Whereas that has been the backbone of our immigration and has made us so extraordinarily vibrant. Also keep in mind, not a single Democrat was involved in the Senate was involved in this bill. Not a single Democrat has been invited to the House, I mean to the White House, to see this plan. That speaks volumes about what's really going on in this process and what really is going to happen uh, at the end of the day in the United States Senate. This bill may be introduced and it will die. Uh, In the House... You know, they might say, hey, we'll take up an immigration bill, and they'll pass one, and maybe they'll rec- reconcile the bills. But the bill, as written by Jared Kushner, will never see the light of day in the, in the House. For one very specific reason, is that the nativist folks in the House won't vote for it because it's not strict enough to eliminate legal immigration. So there you have it. That's our take on the Kushner uh, uh, immigration peace plan as it goes forward. And we'll follow it closely, maybe talk about it next week on our show, uh, and see what actually comes out of it. But until then, don't go ahead and change your plans on how to immigrate to America. We'll be right back uh, here on the Immigration Hour. Many people who follow this show know that uh, we've talked extensively about the separation of families by the Trump administration uh, over the course of the last two and a half years. Now, the Trump administration loves to say, well, Obama did it, and Obama did do it to a certain extent, but never at the volume uh, that's been happening under the Trump administration. Now, after the outcry late last year of the separation of children, thousands of children from their families, including the the more than 2,500 lost children uh, who have not been reunited with their parents at this point, um, 
we have to keep in mind the Trump administration continues to separate families at rates that alarm all of us that practice immigration law, even though a federal judge barred family separation as a systemic policy. Now, that federal judge in San Diego last year ordered them to note to halt the practice. This is Judge Dara Sabro, but she allowed that separations in rare, specific circumstances could occur. The Trump administration has exploited these openings at an extraordinary clip. Jennifer Nagda, who's with the Young Center for Immigrants, Children, and Rights in Chicago, uh, said we have seen a notable increase in March and April. I'll give you some examples. Uh, at the Young Center's Harlingen office, one in every five families they see at migrant shelters have been separated by the border at the border for questionable reasons. The children range in age from 18 months to 15 years. The Texas Civil Rights Project said they've counted more than 40 separated families a month in the McAllen area alone since the injunction last June. Officials at Al Otro Lado, which advocates for immigrants in California, said dozens of families are separated each day throughout the San Diego metro area. And at least 389 confirmed child separations have occurred since June of 2018. And this is what's been confirmed. There's actually many more than this that a lot of advocates have said. Um, there's at least 72 that they cannot account for. Now, the official government numbers here uh, was from data received by the ACLU in court filings. Get this. 20% of the newly separated children are younger than five. Do you know what it means to a five-year-old to be separated from their mother or their father? Do you, can you understand the extraordinary long-term damage to that child? Uh, and now some would say, well, they deserve it. You know, uh, the parents shouldn't have brought them here in the first place. No, that's, that's not the proper response. That's not the response that comes from America, the shining city on a hill. The proper response is let's figure out a humane way to deal with this system that allows people to legitimately process their asylum claims. And if those claims are denied, that these people are removed expeditiously from the United States. This is a process we are more than capable of handling. So why do we choose as a country to allow the Trump administration to do this in a way which is so harmful and damaging to these children. Uh, this is really sad. This is really sad. Um, uh, Efren Olivares, who uh, works as a director of the Texas Civil Rights Project, said he realized that the government still intended to separate children at the border days after the injunction. Sitting in the federal courtroom in McAllen, he learned of multiple cases of families being separated. One man from Guatemala had his two-year-old daughter taken away from him despite having a birth certificate with both their names and no prior criminal record. It took nearly a month to get them back together. Two-year-old! What the heck is this? This is insane. Uh, uh, Acting Homeland Security Secretary uh, Kevin McAleenan told a congressional panel last week that his department is conducting less than two family separations a day, which he described as minor compared with the 1,600 family units crossing the border each day. It's being done very carefully in extraordinarily rarely circumstances, but he appears to understate lying 
maybe understate definitely the number of people doing this. Uh, in fact, CDP, which carries out the separations, this is Customs and Border Protection, refused to answer questions about the separations. They would not say how many separations have occurred since Sabral's order or what happened to the separated minors. <coughs> DHS, which is charged, D, uh, Department of Health and Human Services, HHS, charged with caring for migrant kids, also refused to comment on the number or status of separated migrants in his custody. And here's what they said, quote, HHS is not a part of the child's immigration proceedings. Really? I think you are. You're taking care of these kids. Um, so this is, uh, this is really kind of crazy. This, this, this is a danger to these children. So despite the ban, separating family continues. In March of 2019, Border Patrol agents operated more than 92,000 immigrants illegally crossing the border, a 12-year high. Now, that number is not correct in the context of illegality because they are counting people that literally cross the border and sit down and wait to be picked up so they can apply for asylum. Why are people, quote, illegally crossing the border, sitting down and waiting to be picked up to apply for asylum? This is very easy. Because the Border Patrol, the same Border Patrol that has to pick them up in the desert, is denying them the right to apply at a port of entry pursuant to federal law. Federal law, which allows people to apply at any port of entry for asylum, and then to be admitted to the United States during the duration of their asylum request. It doesn't necessarily mean that they need to be freed. And in fact, Attorney General Barr has issued an opinion recently which said they shouldn't be given bond. But they do have to be admitted. So the Border Patrol is illegally, yes, illegally, criminally metering people about how many asylum seekers can come into a port of entry. Well, if you're stuck in the horrific conditions that people find themselves in, in some parts of Mexico, uh, on the border, and you can you have to decide, okay, do I wait here where I have no food, no ability to care for my child, no protection from the gangs, no protection from the narco-traffickers, or do I walk down the road 10 miles and cross the fence illegally and just wait for uh, CBP to pick me up? So the Border Patrol, when they say that 92,000 immigrants have, quote, illegally crossed the border, that is only the case because they won't let them cross otherwise. Now, get this, 53,000 of them were members of family units, which means parents and children. If those parents and children who were much more safely processed at a port of entry were allowed to do so, then the numbers come back down into historically the low numbers that we've had for the last several years under the Obama administration. Um, and what's interesting about this, uh, this really stems from the Trump administration. And Trump himself said, we've got to be tough. We're going to let the army down there and beat people up when they come across the border. That's what he wants to have happen. Of course, the army will never do that because uh, they have ethical standards they have to live by. Uh, isn't it odd, though, that since the Trump administration has created a more horrific policy at the border, that undocumented immigration has increased? 
Whereas the Obama administration, when it saw an increasing number in the family units coming apply for asylum in 2013, 14, and 15, they implemented policies back in the Northern Triangle in Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador to not only discourage people from coming, but from having a way that kids whose parents were here could process through a refugee process. Trump has canceled that program and has canceled the educational and money uh, monies going to these three countries that dissuade people from coming. So think about this. If you remember what Republicans were saying in 13, 14, and 15, when these kids and their parents were coming to the border, that Obama was at fault because these kids were coming because of DACA and DAPA, but the numbers were nowhere near the numbers you see today, what is their response today? It's not Obama's policies. We're not giving people DACA. There is no DAPA. There is no amnesty. There's nothing. And yet the numbers go up. Maybe somebody should put their, their brain stem back in place and realize this is happening because our policies in these countries no longer dissuade people from coming to the United States. And in fact, they're being promoted at coming now before Trump builds his wall. So the actual idea of tough and harsh enforcement is actually causing more undocumented immigration, especially of families, and our withdrawal of the efforts to reduce undocumented immigration of families specifically and children specifically from these countries by withdrawing our aid, by withdrawing our education, by withdrawing a resettlement program, that's what's causing it. Now, if you think, well, they're idiots, I can't believe they're doing that, don't kid yourselves. They know exactly what they're doing, and the Trump administration, I believe, is intentionally doing this because they believe by intentionally increasing the amount of undocumented immigration that that will cause public opinion to sway against immigrants, where it's been for immigrants for the last decade, and cause Congress to have to adopt harsh immigration provisions. These people are not stupid. They might be evil, they might be immoral, but they are not stupid. And so they know exactly what they're doing here. And this process itself, this process of, in, of harsh enforcement, a lack of spending in those countries to dissuade immigration, with the knowledge that the numbers will grow as a result, is part of their plan to ultimately force Congress to change the laws that we currently have to a much more and a much harsher policy hearkening back to the 1920s. And, you know, some people would say that one of the reasons, not the main reason, but one of the reasons you had the crash in the Great Depression is we cut off the flow of effective workforces and effective capital investment from abroad through our immigration policies. Um, now, you have to understand uh, that these continued family separations at the border are not dissuading people from coming. Uh, they're not. Uh, and, but what's happening as a result is people are simply being released because now because they are not effectively 
processing people intentionally, not effectively processing people. Not because they lack the resources. They, they have resources. They can reallocate people within DHS to do these asylum interviews. They can, they can tell asylum officers, we're going to put you at the border for the while. We're going to do these credible fear interviews in a rational way, although they've now changed that policy, too, to effectively deny credible fear. Uh, but taking a look at this process, it has to be part of a grand scheme that goes back to the, uh, the former Attorney General Jeff Sessions' plan on zero tolerance uh, that was kept secret until it was revealed through people who were, whose families were destroyed and hurt as part of this process. Um, so how does this happen? How does this situation happen? Border Patrol agents can separate a family if they decide the adult and child are not really related or if the parent is deemed a danger to the child. Now, this is a thing you may have seen come out in the press recently where uh, ICE has said on their investigation of 100 family units that up to a quarter were not real. But they produced zero evidence of that. Now, I, I am not foolish enough to believe that kids aren't being trafficked or that kids aren't being used as shields or that parents are pretending to have kids that aren't really theirs. But that is certainly not 25% of what's coming through. And if that was really the case, where are the prosecutions for human trafficking? Because that's human trafficking at, at, its, at its base level. So where are those prosecutions? There aren't any. And why? Because it's not really happening at that level. Um, going back to uh, last July in San Diego, KPBS has said that at least 54 children who were U.S. citizens, were transferred to county welfare office services by law enforcement agents being removed from asylum-seeking parents at the border, including ports of entry. Now think about that. People that had repatriated their children abroad brought them back to the U.S. because they couldn't live with them, and the consequences of their presence in the country are separated from their parents because they're U.S. citizens, and therefore they can't be detained by the federal government. Um, this is um, really remarkable kind of stuff. Uh, the USA Today article is definitely must read on this, and I mean, I encourage you to, to, to take a look at really what's going on, because we are facing uh, a crisis which the administration wants to use to destroy the asylum system, maybe even withdraw us from international treaties, and destroy the legal immigration system. Let's take a Another quick break here on the Immigration Hour. I'll be right back with some more analysis of some current hot topics in immigration. Welcome back. Um, we don't have commercial breaks right now um, because I'm still trying to figure out how to do that. But um, uh, the other issue we wanted to talk about today was the, the Trump proposal, or the, let's call it the Trump memo to DHS to create more regulations. This is funny. Now, does that mean they have to cancel two regulations for the regulation they're going to create? Because they, otherwise they'd be in violation of that executive order that Trump issued his first day in office. Just saying. It could be the case. Uh, so he, he issued a memo which orders DHS to, one, limit work authorizations for asylum applicants, impose application fees on asylum application, and speed up court decisions. All right. So this memo... Um, it's really interesting. Um, and it's weird that it's not an executive order, but let's, let's look at what he said. Um, President Trump um, 
uh, writes a memo for the Attorney General and the Secretary of Homeland Security. Uh, by the authority vested in him as president by the Constitution and the laws. Um, and uh, he says this uh, as part of the process. He goes through a course. Uh, in March, more than 100,000 indivisible aliens were encountered. That's 10,000 more than the Border Patrol said there was, and that in itself was inaccurate. Um, refers back to his national emergency proclamation of February 2019, also a made-up thing, um, says this, uh, it is the policy of the executive branch to manage our humanitarian immigration programs in a safe, orderly manner that provides access to relief and protection for removal for those who qualify and that promptly denies benefits to and facilitates the removal of those who do not. You know, that sounds so genteel. Uh, if only they were actually doing it that way. Uh, so here's, here's his order in Section 3. Within 90 days of this memo, so by sometime in June, April, May, June, uh, the AG and DHS secretary shall take the appropriate actions to, one, propose regulations to ensure that foreign nationals who receive positive fear determinations are placed in proceedings conducted under the Immigration Act, and if not eligible, are placed in removal proceedings for withholding of removal. Two, propose regulations to ensure that absent exceptional circumstances, all asylum applications adjudicated in immigration court proceedings receive final administrative orders, not including an appeal, within 180 days of filing. Now, I will tell you, that's supposed to be the federal law now, dating back to 1996. They're just not doing it. Three, proposed regulations for setting a fee for an asylum application, not to exceed the cost of adjudicating the application. Of course, this is illegal and a violation of our international treaty obligations. I'm going to be interested to see what they come up with. Because if they're charging for an adjustment of status application, $1,225, and for a naturalization application, $725, and an asylum application generally is more difficult, more complicated, more time-consuming, I can't imagine what crazy number they're going to come up with. And if they do come up with a number, rather than saying, Dear Mr. President, we can't charge a fee for this, then we're going to take as a collective action, as immigration lawyers and advocacy groups, and sue their butts in federal court, and we're, we're not going to get tired of winning, and we're going to win. All right? Um, and setting a fee for the initial application for employment authorization. Right now, there is no fee for the initial application for employment authorization. Why? Because asylum seekers generally have nothing. They walk to the border with their clothes on their back. They have no ability to pay a filing fee. That's why, from a humanitarian perspective and a treaty perspective, there is no charge for the applications to start. Now, there's a charge for renewals of the employment cards, because by then people have been working for a year. Next, four, proposed regulations... Uh, and other applicables uh, to bar foreign nationals who have entered or attempted to enter the United States unlawfully from receiving employment authorization before any applicable application for relief has been granted. Now think about this. You tie this into what we talked about before. The Trump administration is metering people, thus forcing them to enter illegally and wait, 
and thus forcing them not to get an employment authorization. Do you, do you see how this is working? These are not stupid people. They know exactly what they were doing. This is all part of a greater nativist plan to eliminate asylum seekers and eliminate legal immigration. Um, and eliminate, in short, immediate revocation of employment authorization for people who are denied asylum or become subject to a final order of removal, even though such people under the statute can be put under an order's revision and are given work authorization with the final order of removal if they cannot be removed. Um, keep also in mind that people with final orders of removal, this is where it shows you they don't know immigration law, you can have a final order of removal and be granted withholding removal and thus get a work authorization and not be able to be deported. Uh, next, uh, 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 Despicable Don says that the Homeland Security Secretary shall reprioritize the assignment of immigration officers and any other employees of the DHS the Secretary deems necessary and appropriate to improve the integrity of adjudications of credible and reasonable fear claims. So they're going to bring in Border Patrol agents to do credible fear claims. And what are Border Patrols going to be told? Nobody qualifies for credible fear. If you're afraid because your spouse beats you, that's not credible fear. You're afraid because the gangs came after you, that's not credible fear. Um, and to ensure compliance by those aliens who have final orders removal. So he wants to deputize people outside of ICE to create more deportation agents. Now, this is going to be interesting um, uh, as this moves forward. Uh, this is troublesome. Uh, this is... Um, more evidence that the, the Trump administration uh, clearly does not understand uh, uh, immigration law. And it will, I believe, result in a large number of lawsuits that will just get further bogged down in the courts, which the Trump administration will then use as campaign fodder for the election. And if you don't think Trump's going to get reelected, you are sadly mistaken. Trump getting reelected is a very high possibility right now, and he plans on creating an immigration crisis to peak next fall and use that to ride to a second term in the White House. I promise you, this is going to happen. This is exactly how it's going to happen. Um, and uh, now think about it. Trump's asking them to propose regulations. So the fastest that any of these proposals could actually become regulations would be five to six months. They would then, think about so that now, now we're sometime in the fall of 2019. Now primaries are starting up, and keep in mind, Trump's going to have a primary in a lot of states. So he's going to be talking about this. Then the lawsuits will start. Injunctions will be put into place. There will be hearings. There will be appeals. We'll be... At the, at the summer of 2020, the courts of appeals will be hearing these cases. They will issue opinions. Trump will then appeal to the Supreme Court. And this will all rise just at the perfect time for the election, which occurs in 18 months and one week from today. And if you don't think that's not going to happen, you're not paying attention to what's going on. This is clearly a well-thought-out plan by the Trump administration to make sure this is going to go on. Keep in mind, 
Trump's folks, these, these nativists that run these agencies that are in the White House and whispering in Trump's ear, have experimented with a broad range of policies to discourage the arrivals, but with no success, because they canceled the programs that were actually working. They canceled those programs. And talk of greater enforcement in six months, when a, when a magical wall is built out of fairy dust and unicorn uh, uh, farts, uh, is not going to get anybody, any lesser number of people to border. It's going to create more people to come before it becomes too hard. And if you don't think the coyotes and the narco traffickers aren't selling this, then you're also sadly mistaken. I meet on a regular basis with people that have come through this process from the Northern Triangle. Very few are coming from Mexico. Very few. Most are coming from the Northern Triangle, and they are thinking they're going to be here for a long term. And when I have this discussion with them that their hearings are going to be expedited, they don't understand that they're not going to be here long because they have been sold a bill of goods. I will tell you that a problem that the Trump administration has caused is they're just releasing people with no documents. They're releasing them with no court dates. Uh, they're, not, they're not bringing people in on supervision orders. And even though there are more than 2.5 million people currently reporting to ICE as under supervision orders or either before or after their hearings, the reality, and they are reporting, by the way, the reality is there are hundreds of thousands of more that don't have any report dates, that have no court dates, and do not understand. This perhaps is the greatest... Greatest travesty of this whole thing. These people are released without being told that they only have one year to apply for asylum. And we are seeing people that come in two or three years later that came in in 2016, 2017, 2015 that never filed an asylum application because they thought they couldn't file until they got their court hearing date notice. And they finally get the notice that they come in and they are literally screwed out of asylum and, about, and out of that standard when they could have applied for asylum affirmatively long ago. And that is really the saddest part about this. Have we learned nothing from history? I mean, is, is World War II and the Holocaust so far removed from our memories uh, the, the, that the U.S., the grave role that the U.S. played in allowing the Holocaust to continue by not allowing asylum seekers into the country who we knew would die and who in fact died. And if you don't think people that are being returned to the Northern Triangle aren't dying, you are not paying attention. They are dying back there. They are being murdered and killed back there because we are returning to a place that is very unsafe. Um, and this final idea of the Trump administration, uh, this migrant policy where if they apply for asylum and they have credible fear, they can wait in Mexico for their hearing. Uh, it is without a doubt a fact uh, that the coyotes and the drug cartels are in total control of the Mexico side of the southern border. They have labs nearby where they make drugs to sell into the U.S. and Mexico, and most of the dangerous countries in the world must eradicate this problem. And we are putting people back into that system. We're putting them back into a place where their very lives are at stake as they wait for hearings. And they have no way to prepare for it. They, they've been found in incredible fear. And they have to wait abroad with no way to work, no way to live, no way to talk to their lawyers, or even get a lawyer. 
and then to be called back into the U.S. for a hearing, uh, or maybe even to say Mexico would have a hearing there by video. Uh, this is what's happening now. Uh, and um, these, uh, these proposals are horrific. They are, they are so far below the dignity of what our country has stood for for generations. Ronald Reagan's city on a hill is in disarray. It is faltering. Our light is dimming because of how we treat the least among us. Those that call themselves Christians cannot in any way look at these policies and say that it makes them happy. And it's that what Jesus would do. They would have to look on this and look at these policies and say, oh my gosh, what have we become? God have mercies on our souls if we allow this to continue. I want to thank you guys for listening this week to the Immigration Hour. We'll be back next week with an update with the Kushner plan uh, and with more about the politics of immigration. If you have any comments or questions or concerns, just email me at chuckatimmigration.net or visit our website at www.immigration.net. Till next week, it's been a joy. Bye-bye.